electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other uh, people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Something's changed. The market is, for lack of a more poetic term, better. The cynics and the naysayers, they've been stunned, at least momentarily. It's plain old ordinary stock picking, making a comeback. Long ignored household names are emerging from the shadow of the Magnificent Seven, and their stocks are making you money again after a long hiatus. That's the story today. Even the broader average did next to nothing. Dow creeping up two points, S&P advancing 0.13%, NASDAQ inching up 0.08%. How'd this happen? This sea change. Interest rates, that's how. As long as longer-term bond yields were going up and we knew they were going to keep going up, you had to stick with companies that had exceptional growth no matter what interest rates did, meaning usually tech and drugs. Somehow, perhaps because the pharmaceutical industry is so stultified, the drug companies failed to deliver. That left tech as the lone standard bearer, bolstered by the enterprise software place, and yes, indeed, the MAG-7. But now that long rates have pulled back dramatically from their highs. We're in a different world. One that is actually more hospitable to the rest of the stock market. Some could say a little less hospitable to, to Mag7, but that may be because of some changes uh, at a company called Microsoft. I'll leave that to the people who know more about what exactly happened there. Because my thing is this and you. Yeah, I think the bull is finally out of the Mag7 ring. And there's no better test case than what will happen next week, the truncated week of Thanksgiving, when a whole host of potential... Uh, <laughs> Potential touchdowns are way just. I'm sorry, I had to do this. I used to, when I started this show like 47 years ago, put my hand in and and draw it. But now they've replaced that with an actual turkey. (laughs) I think my hand does a better turkey than anything else. There. Okay, today Citigroup upgraded Zoom video from sell to hold. Zoom reports Monday night. I wonder if we can finally break out of the seemingly endless post-COVID funk that it's been in. It won't be easy, given how Microsoft's using its huge installed base of Windows computers to push people to switch to their own video conference platform, whether you like it or not. Does that thing pop up all the time for you? It does for me. I can't turn it off. Anything that shows an uptick in some of Zoom's adjacencies could ignite the stock. Tuesday is, look at this, it's insane. 
we're getting a deluge of earnings, especially retail earnings, as though, uh, as though the CEOs of these companies are maybe trying to give me a pre-Thanksgiving heart attack. Let's go through them. In the morning, we start with Best Buy. Now, here's one of those companies that have people have written off because, like Zoom, it has a COVID hangover. During the pandemic, we seem to have bought everything we needed to set up a home office, and that's not something you need to set up regularly once you've done it. We don't need more appliances either, judging by those dismal whirlpool numbers that we got a couple weeks ago. Again, though, this week, Gap and Ross Stores and Macy's all reported upside surprises. And if you own their stocks ahead of time, well, you made out like a bandit. So let's think. Best Buy, over 5% yield, very good management, could also surprise the upside. Actually, doesn't it seem almost logical? Next, Burlington Stores, an off-price gem, is a rough one to gain. This week, their key rivals, TJX and Ross Stores, both reported. TJX gave you stunningly good results, but a light forecast, while Ross gave you good results and a good forecast. We own TJX for the Chapel Trust, and uh, so we knew it had a habit of, uh, of issuing incredibly conservative guidance and then knocking it down, and that's exactly what happened. History says you have to buy that sell-off, and that's exactly what we're doing, and I hope you're doing. Ross just went straight up. Unfortunately, we don't know which pike Burlington's going to take. Maybe just, it's easier to just keep buying TJX. That's what we pretty much said at, the, at our Wednesday monthly call, uh, club call. What else? Have investors been spoiled by the success of Abercrombie and Fitch? This turnaround was multiple years in the making, so I think it's really jump ship. Dick's Sporting Goods has been tricky, so I'm not going to try to game it. Uh, I'll only say that, like Best Buy, Dick's Sporting Goods seems dirt cheap to me. Kohl's reports, too. And there was a time when we thought something could happen to move this thing higher. These days, though, we just want something less than a disaster. That said, do you know what I think CEO Tom Kingsbury did a fabulous job back when he was running Burlington stores before he took the Kohl's job? To me, the risk score here says buy. But the stock did have a big move today in sympathy with the big move in Gap. Finally, remember when Home Depot was being panned widely and I told you that the fact is it had a pulse, any pulse was a good sign, and then it soared? I bet the same goes for Lowe's, which has a terrific do-it-yourself business. We got housing start numbers today, and they were a little stronger than expected. You know, that doesn't hurt for the stock either. Uh, one more reason why I like the stock of Lowe's down here. Next, where's that, uh, where is that elusive infrastructure money? Remember the trillion-dollar package that was going to spur building unlike anything we've ever seen in this country since the Great Depression? Well, maybe Jacob Solutions can tell us. It's a terrific operator with a huge engineering construction business, so if anybody would know, it's these guys. Tuesday morning, we also hear from Baidu, the big Chinese search engine. At one point, all these Chinese Internet stocks were on fire. Back then, Baidu was the Chinese Google, and it tracked with Alibaba, the Chinese Amazon. But this week, Alibaba imploded, meaning it reported a just-OK quarter and then gave up on its cloud spinoff. While griping about not being able to get the state-of-the-art American semiconductors, I have to wonder if Baidu's in the same boat or rut. Remember, I do not like the Chinese stock market or Chinese stocks that list over here and more on that dreadful group later. Tuesday night features perhaps the most anticipated earnings report of the quarter from Kramer, Fave, NVIDIA. I don't like buying the stock ahead of the quarter, although it rewarded you for doing that last time. I have reservations about betting on the results, though, because the stock is now quite, has had quite the run in anticipation of another monster-sized guide-up like he gave you last time. That is not a good setup. Still, I reiterate that you should own NVIDIA, don't trade it, because it remains the king of AI semiconductors. The outperformance here has been staggering, but so is the product. You know, hey, by the way, I tire of hearing about other companies that have some knockoff NVIDIA chips waiting in the wings for them. Forget the knockoffs. Show me the money. I keep thinking that the personal computer stocks will have their day in the sun like they used to. Remember, though, people bought a huge amount of tech hardware during the pandemic. And since then, the industry hasn't come up with anything impressive enough to make you want to upgrade. So can HP tell us a different story when it reports? Maybe they got something good on, in the hopper. I sure hope so, because there's no getting around the fact that we need new PCs packed with kinds of artificial intelligence that, can, that we keep hearing about. 
if HP stock wants to go higher. They sure aren't making them now. Next, can Nordstrom ever break out of its funk? The department store chain, always known for its service, now recognizes the cost of providing that service can be very darn high and not as lucrative as it used to be. Oh, and if you need help finding something you like, you ever heard of Amazon? They got this thing called inferencing, and they know better than you. They know better than any salesperson what you might want. I can't think of a way to save this chain without a merger. Say, without maybe, I don't know, uh, another hurting company? Finally, on Wednesday, we hear from a company that was a consistent winner for years, but has done nothing for you of late, and that is Deer. That's because, like so many other commodities, the price of grain has collapsed. Farmers tend not to buy new equipment if the current harvest doesn't produce bountiful profits. I've been telling people that Deere's a good enough company to hold on through the down ag cycle. That strategy is going to be sorely tested when Deere tells us about this quarter. Here's the bottom line. Next week is historically a pretty positive time. But I'm cognizant that we've had a big run here. However, if we get a continuation of the rotation into beaten down retailers, along with a huge guide-up by NVIDIA, I don't know, Everything, everything will work during an NLB shortened week. <laughs> Gobble. Terry in Ohio. Terry. Booyah, Ski Daddy. This is your longtime fan and very happy club member, Terry in Ohio. Thank you, Terry. I hope you liked our club meeting on Wednesday. Jeff Shine, he's got that new name I like so much. It's from your area. You know that. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Hey, Jim, I really appreciate everything you've tried to teach me about investing, but that still didn't stop me from making a bonehead mistake with one of my largest holdings. And I'm hoping Professor Kramer can help me fix my trade. I have tenure. I can can say anything I want. That's what they do at colleges, right? If you have tenure, you can do whatever you want, even if you're bad. But I try to be good, so let's go to work. Okay. Like you, I was disappointed that Exxon didn't offer a better price at the buyout. And when you sold the entire club holding, I only let go of a quarter of my shares hoping for a better price. I have a much smaller position in Proterra and was wondering what you would recommend I do with Pioneer now that it's well below. Great question, Terry, and thank you for those kind words. What I would say is that oil seems to be bouncing from the $70 level, 72. Uh, I would say, yeah, maybe it bounces to maybe 75, 77. And when that happens, I think you'll probably be able to get, I don't know, 240, 242 for Pioneer. I want you to sell it, and I want you to put the money in Kotara. That's the plan. But we did make money in Pioneer, so let's not uh, fret too much. Let's fret the ones where we lose the money in. I'm cognizant that we've had a big run here, people. However, if this rotation of beating down retailers continues, we could have another very strong week. Hey, by the way, you get spared on Thursday. <laughs> on Man Money Tonight, the S&P 500 may be higher this week, but out of the 500 names in the index, do you know that only 14 have outperformed the benchmark every year for the past five years? I'm going to run down the list of names. I find it very revealing. I love to do these kinds of screens. Then it was a big week for U.S.-China relations. As tensions seemingly thaw, hey, what could it mean for China IPOs? I'm giving you my take. You may not like it. Plus, this week we hosted our monthly meeting for CNBC Investing Club subscribers, and we couldn't, like, like Terry, and we couldn't get to, couldn't get to all the amazing questions. So we decided to keep the momentum going with another round tonight. You do not want to miss it. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. 
With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed. A few days ago, the CNBC investing club held our monthly meeting where my colleague, Jeff Marks and I we went through the thought process for the club. We discussed our current holdings, and we took some member questions. Now, this is one of my favorite things to do, and we always have more questions than time to do, and this one went wrong anyway. That's why we thought maybe we'd give a little measure of what the meetings are like to you by using the extra questions. Now, if you're not a part of the club and you want to be, and I sure hope you will be, you can open the camera on your phone and scan this QR code behind me or become a member. Go to CNBC.com Investing Club. I really want you in the thing, and we work really hard, and my colleague Jeff is unbelievably good. Just do it for him. All right, first up, we have a question from Robert in Pennsylvania who asks, I want to include pharmaceuticals in my portfolio, and I have a strong interest in Novo Nordisk. Please advise your feedback or any other suggestions. Thank you. Okay, Novo, I see you, Novo Nordisk, and I raise you, Lily. Here's why. Novo Nordisk does have Wegovy, which is an absolutely terrific product. That's a GLP, and we know that there's a competitor that Eli Lilly has. Okay, but Eli Lilly also has an incredible, incredible possible big, big drug for dementia. And Novo Nordisk doesn't. And this would be for 2024. So why be in the one-trick pony when you can be in a company that has much broader options? No to Novo, yes to Lilly. Next up, we have a question from Tom in Illinois, who asks, I always debate the hold versus take profits, and, often, uh, and too often emotion drives that decision. 
FOMO. I want to create rules for myself, but I'm looking for guidance here. For example, if a stock doubles, should I play with just house money? Also, when should you walk away? Great questions. And I did spend a lot of time. I even quoted Kenny Rogers, the gambler, about when to walk away, when to run. Here's what you have to do. When you start, when you are in a situation where you can play with houses money, I demand that you take some off. Not all of it. I'm not trying to just get only houses money. I just think that what you can do is you take some off, and then you can never get a loss, which is what I'm really trying to, to, to get here. Now, when it comes to just trying to figure out when to cut, to cut and run, that that's easy. Did the story change from when you bought it? Because if you bought it with one thing in mind and then something else happened and it's negative, you have no business being in that stock, okay? Your thesis is, is done, it's shot, you're gone. Now we're taking a question from John and Bridget, who asks, Jim, look at opening a position in NVIDIA for my young children. Why do you think consider me a very good entry point? All right, so what I like to say is, is that, uh, and I said that in our game plan earlier in the show, is that I don't like to play the Russian roulette game of buying right ahead of a quarter. And NVIDIA reports in a couple of days. I find that the emotions around a quarter are such that if it's up 80, I look like an idiot. If it's Danny, I don't look like anything. I want you to own NVIDIA. So why don't you do this? Why don't you buy a little NVIDIA? Let's say you want to buy, because it's a high dollar amount of stock. Let's say you want to buy 25 shares altogether. Buy five. And then see what happens to the quarter. The worst that happens is it goes up 80 like you did last time, and you sell that, all right? I'm not a trader. I don't want you to trade it. I want you to own NVIDIA. But I also don't want you to just be furious at yourself that you bought it all, and then the next day it dropped 80 points. And then you'll want to leave the game. You'll want to blow out NVIDIA. I don't want that to happen. Next up, we have another Robert in Pennsylvania. A lot of Roberts in Pennsylvania, for heaven's sake, who asks, how much time, quarters, should you give a company to turn things around and for reporting and providing an awful quarter in guidance? All right. If the balance sheet is good, and you think that they have a path out of the jam they're in, then you can stay another two quarters. If the balance sheet's not good and you don't see a clear path, it's incumbent that you start selling some now. A lot of times things are pretty much in the middle uh, where the balance sheet's okay and they may or may not have a path. Cut the position down into any strength. You do get strength. And when you have that strength, you've got to take it and make it smaller. Now, as I said when we did our meeting, I have made the mistake of not cutting in a couple of cases. And I detailed them extensively just to be able to show you not to express the pain that I felt, but just how awful it is when you start making excuses for situations that you shouldn't be in because they're different from what you thought. All right, now let's go to Todd who asked, yo, Jimmy, chill. Do you believe that solar stocks like end phase have experienced an overshoot to the downside when evaluated from a free cash flow perspective? Well, here's what I said about those stocks. I think that those stocks turned out to be like my father's uh, gift wrap paper uh, when he was selling it at uh, International Packaging Products. And what I said very specifically is if you have to finance things and interest rates go up, then whatever you have to finance isn't worth as much and doesn't or doesn't sell well because you're, you know, you're basically having to buy it and then uh, basically borrowing a lot of money, and that's what your payback is suddenly determined by how much you're borrowing, those stocks are still like that. We think that rates have come down. They've come down a little bit, but end phase is just not worth as much as when the interest rates were, were nil. Uh, so we're not going to play with end phase. What we're going to do is buy for solar, because what you really want is you want a solar situation. You don't want a borrowing money situation. My father, I didn't want him to, I wanted him to sell gift wrap, not borrow money to sell gift wrap. Right now with end phase, you're borrowing money to buy product from end phase. No, no, we're not a finance shop. We're a solar shop. Next up, we have a question from Stephen in California who asked, Jim, I want to know when a holding is too big. With 10 stocks, 10% is perfectly balanced. If a 10-stock portfolio is, uh, is a stock at 15% too big a position, is 20% too big, how about for an 8-stock portfolio? Okay, what size position is too big? We, again, I mean, I hate to just constantly be self-referential, but 
We spent a lot of time this week in our morning meetings talking about the stock of Alphabet and how Alphabet has gotten too big for us. And we think that too big, what you really want to do is, does your portfolio swing on one stock? Do you find that if Alphabet's down five, does your, is your portfolio down too much for your liking? You have to make it. It's a personal decision. But if you see your portfolio swinging because of one or two stocks, those two stocks are too big. You don't want any one stock to be able to sink you. That's what you have to be thinking about. Next, we have a question from David who wants to know, why do extended hours exist pre-opening and post-closing? Uh, when should we use them, if at all? Never use them. These are Wild West. The markets aren't real. You can get really hurt. The reason why they exist is because the government feels that they have no right to be able to stop trading at 4 o'clock because every time they try to do it, there are other people who do it or they can do it offshore, you know, all sorts of things. Suffice it to say, take this from me, okay? You're not going to make any money if you do that stuff in the Wild West. You will be ripped off. You want to do it? Uh, then don't. Then turn me off, okay? Because therefore, I have no value added for you. I've been around. I've been doing this stuff for 40 years, okay? I know it doesn't work right. I know that you'll get hurt. But if you want to insist to get hurt, go switch to the other guy. There's probably like a SpongeBob. Go to SpongeBob with the Patrick, you know, and I don't know if he's still on anymore, but it's perfect. Don't forget the Kevin one with the cucumbers. Now we're taking a question from Don in Pennsylvania. A lot of Pennsylvanians, which I like, who said, should we be thinking about energy, invest, sell, or stay away? Yeah, we got this thing called Kotara. And it, it, it can switch to natural gas versus oil. Natural gas is actually up a lot. Oil's breaking down, but not in that gas. So Kotara, C-T-R-A, is for you. That's the best one. We've gotten rid of almost all the others, even tangentially, that have anything to do with oil, except for an engineering and construction or a construction company stock. They have money's packed everywhere. Coming up, 500 stocks in the S&P, and only 14 can say they've done it. Kramer is revealing the elite group of names that have consistently beat the market since 2019, and which should be on your radar next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Late last month, Kramer fave Lindy... Reporter Rock Solid Quarter. This is a major industrial gas distributor that we own for the Chapel Trust. And they just delivered their 19th straight beat and raise set of numbers. Stock board response, which is why we stuck with it even when Wall Street was feeling a lot more negative about the economy than it is now. But I bring this up because a few days later, Lindy's investor relations team, which is as good as gold, noted that their company was one of only 14 companies in the S&P 500 that have outperformed the benchmark index every year for the past five years. And what a tumultuous five years it's been. That's why I always stress that Lindy's a sleep-at-night stock, even though it's industrial, because it's dependable. Tonight, I said, I said you know what we ought to do? We ought to look at the other 13 companies that made the same elite list out from the S&P 500 every year for the last five years in a row. Full disclosure, there's been one change to this cohort since Lindy mentioned it at the end of October, with one stock falling off the list and another one joining it. Other than that, not a lot of surprise here. Let's go industry by industry, starting with the ones that have multiple stocks on the list, like Cadence Design Systems and Synopsis. These are two longtime partners of, yes, NVIDIA that make design software primarily for the semiconductor space. Cadence and Synopsis have been consistent winners because they let you play the long-term rise of the semi-industry while avoiding the boom-and-bust nature of the actual chip business. 
Speaking of semiconductor volatility, I was surprised to see KLA Core, that's the old KLA 10 Core, on the list because they make machinery for chip manufacturers. That's about as boom and bust as it gets, I thought. As much as I like this group here, I always assume the semiconductor capital equipment makers were hostage to big swings in the chip market. When it looks like there's a glut coming, foundries will dial back their expansion plans, buying less machinery for the likes of KLA. Yet this stock's beaten the S&P 500 every year for, from 2019 through today. Maybe that shouldn't be a surprise, though, as KLA's earnings have roughly tripled during this period, and cutting-edge semis and the machines that make them are a lot less cyclical and, yes, more secular growers than they used to be. A couple of insurance brokers made the list, and they're old-fashioned names that you're probably not interested in, but I don't care because I like money, even if it's boring. I'm talking about Arthur J. Gallagher and Brown & Brown, two companies that have been around for ages. Interesting, the actual insurance stocks were unimpressive until the past couple of years. Well, they only picked up when the Fed started raising interest rates. Remember, insurance companies take your premiums, then invest them in something else, often bonds, meaning when rates go up, so do their earnings. But if it appears that it appears these insurance brokers... These companies that sell you policies on behalf of somebody else, typically commercial policies, not life, are much more consistent than that. Steady before, during, and after COVID. Not bad. What else? A bunch of rock-solid industrial names make the list. Train Technologies, you've seen them on the show. Heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, also known as HVAC play. I've been pushing both Train and its competitor, Carrier, because there's now lots of money in retrofitting old buildings with cleaner, more energy-efficient climate control systems. Plus, there's also a lot of government infrastructure money goes their way. Carrier's got a little tricky lately because it's buying, it's making this big European acquisition. I, I'm not, I don't think that the street is totally sold on yet, even though I like it. But that doesn't matter if the street's not sold on it. Train those straightforward, and you know it's a consistent operator, or else it wouldn't have made the list in the first place. We've also got Ingersoll Rand. That's an industrial's industrial. It makes all sorts of specialty machineries, especially flow control equipment. And there's another charitable trust name, Eaton which is actually our newest position, something you know if you join the CNBC Investing Club. We talked about it extensively with my colleague Jeff Marks at our monthly meeting, which is still available online. You should go listen. Eaton's a major play on the data center, energy transition and infrastructure spending, uh, reshoring, lots of electrical equipment. And this excellent set of end markets has made the company into one of the best growth stories of the sector. From the Chapel Trust perspective, we're waiting for a pullback so we can buy more because you never want to buy all the stock at once because that's called pure arrogance. And when you're dealing with a stock that's outperformed the SP 500 for five years in a row, you know what? You can feel confident you can buy a little more on weakness. You know what? You can wait. Next, we got a couple infrastructure plays. Think United Rentals, URI, a roll-up that rents out construction equipment all over the country. That's going to be good for the infrastructure market. Terrific company with a stock that's up more than 600% over the past decade. Even after many years of outperformance, United Rentals remains cheap, selling for just 12 times this year's earnings estimates. I love it here because it will be a big winner from federal money. But you have to understand, people are always thinking this is the first stock to dump whenever rates go up. So just be aware of that. Then there's a company called Quanta Services, specialized contractor that builds, repairs, and maintains both energy and communications infrastructure. I used to follow this one really closely 15 years ago, but I kind of lost track of it. Clearly, Quanta is a consistent operator, though its stock has pulled back hard in recent months because it's got a lot of alternative energy exposure. For me, it's reminiscent of the engineering, construction, or ENC firms that we've been covering all year, like AECOM or Jacobs or DICOM. They're all infrastructure gatekeepers. I want to do more homework before I give Quanta my blessing, but it's definitely worth taking a closer look. Let's move on to the unique winners, starting with another name that I sure wish I knew better. It's called Amphenol. These guys make high-tech components, largely for communications networks, although they've also got auto, aerospace, and defense. Obviously, Amphenol's doing something right, or else it wouldn't be able to beat the SP for five years in a row. 
Next, how about one of the S&P 500's newest members? This one's called Axon, A-X-O-N Enterprise, but it's formerly known as Taser International, and that joined the index in May. I've been recommending this stock for ages. Why? In large part, because they've got a big police body camera business. Here's the secret. Axon does uh, okay selling the actual body cameras. That's like the the uh, razors, but the razor blades, what you have to get is the software. See, real money comes from the software as a service division, where they help police departments manage all the video footage from the body cameras. The razor blades, great business, excellent stock. I've liked this one since, oh man, for ages. Finally, there's big time home builder DR Horton. Again, home builders are supposed to be boom and bust, yet somehow this stock's beaten the SP 500 for five years in a row. Even if the whole group got clobbered, his mortgage rates soared from August through last month. The businesses were hurt because there was a home shortage. It uh, weren't hurt. The businesses were not hurt because of the home shortage, but the stocks took a hit. So even though the numbers didn't, their actual earnings didn't get hit, that people paid less for those earnings. That's what that was about. Now, though, long-term interest rates are well off their highs, so investors are pouring back and paying more for those earnings. And this one is my favorite of the home builders for the current environment, because Horton, if you listen to the last conference call, their strategy hinges on turning over its inventory consistently, even if that means occasionally compromising on price. Home builders often get in trouble when the market cools rapidly and they find themselves stuck with too much inventory. Horton operates with great discipline in order to avoid that. And I think and this is the real reason why I'm liking this one a little more than I used to. They have a terrific selection of affordable homes, and they stress that on their website and in their conference school. Here's the bottom line. When you find a group of 14 stocks that beat the S&P 500 every year for nearly five years in a row, that's practically a shopping list. I think almost any of these would make a great addition to your portfolio. But what I would do is put some on and then wait for market-wide pullback, because what's happened is these stocks go down, then they come right back. But why not buy them at a discount when you can get one? Sunny in my home state of New Jersey. Sunny. Hello. How are you, Mr. Kramer? I am good, Sonny. How are you? What's up? Okay, J&J um, was acquired uh, by an employee um, over the last 30 or 35 years. Um, and we're wondering at this point whether to hold it and, and put it in a drip program, which it is currently not in, uh, start to sell it off and take the capital gains whack. Or, okay. Uh, well, okay, here's the problem with J&J, and I've studied this extensively. I think the lawyers for Johnson Johnson, not the company itself, but the excellent company, the lawyers for J&J are way too glib. I've done a huge amount of work on, the, on their situation involving asbestos and talcum. And I can tell you that the lawyers are uh, too optimistic, and therefore Johnson Johnson stock cannot be owned until they are much more realistic about the hazards of asbestos and what it's done to other companies then they should not be as glib, and they should be advising the CEO on a more a safe and better strategy. Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, after taking the beating of a lifetime during the dot-com bubble, I promised myself I'd never get crushed like that again as I fled to real estate. I've been hiding what money I have left under my mattress for the last 14 years, but I'm finally ready to get back in the market. Jim, can I win it all back buying office real estate dip via Boston Properties? All right, having the like Boston properties, they actually uh, they own a what are known a list properties. They own they know properties that can uh, that are actually pretty full. Their numbers are great. Uh, I, I don't think anything's worth trying to roll back, you know, roll the dice on. But I think BXP is probably the single best office REIT that there is, and I would say that it's okay to buy. Let's go to Ned in Ohio. Ned, hey Professor Kramer, five star professor. Good to talk with you. I hope you're doing well. My question has to do with 
U.S. Steel and Cleveland Cliffs. I own both of them, uh, and uh, I understand there's some uh, strategic uh, process involved where Correct. others are looking to acquire parts or all of USX. Would you own them both at the no, same time? No, I would time, not own sir? both. Um, I would not own both. And if, if, the, if the deal for a letter X falls through, that stock's going to go down precipitously. I happen to think the management of, of Cleveland Cliffs is extraordinarily good. I think that the strategy is extraordinarily good. And I would buy Cliff, CLF, I would buy it right here. Because that's how much I feel. That's how it's. Lately on Wall Street, they're saying they're convicted about it. The real word is convinced, not convicted. Convicted means you're going to jail. Wall Street should stop it with the stupid language. That's the stock to own. C L F. I think convicted. Oh, I'm really convicted about Cliff. Go to jail for Cliff then. I think almost any of these stocks that have beaten the market in the past five years would make a great addition to your portfolio. That's why I highlighted this list. Thank you to the Lindy IR for suggesting. I would just try to wait for a more market-wide pullback, put some more, and then buy if it comes down, buy some more. There's much more mad money ahead. Despite the Biden-Xi summit and my ETF, putative ETF for it, I'll explain why Chinese IPOs may still be very, very bad for your wealth. Then forget the Magnificent Seven already. I'm going to tell you how browsing the shopping mall can help you discover your next great investment. Plus, all your calls for rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. There's been a clear thaw in U.S.-China relations. It was apparently a very cordial meeting between President Biden and President Xi in San Francisco this week. Okay, they didn't agree to any earth-shattering policy shifts, but we're working together to curb fentanyl shipments from China, and our government's agreed to reestablish military communications. That's a big deal because it helps prevent the kind of actions that could lead to World War III. Really, though, the Chinese dictator put on a whole charm offensive meeting with our top business leaders, and he looked very happy with the gov- when the governor of California gave him a Golden State Warriors jersey. Oh, and it isn't all that much of an olive branch to say that you're not going to flood our country with fentanyl anymore. Thanks. Regular viewers know that I'm a hardliner when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party. I think their government constantly engaged in abusive trade practices. I'm very aware of their expansionist attitude toward the uh, South China Sea, say nothing of their abysmal human rights record. But I'm also not eager to see World War III. So I'm thrilled by any successful diplomacy here. This easy attention makes me think that all sorts of American companies uh, with big uh, China exposure could benefit. And here I'm thinking about uh, some charitable trust teams like Apple, Starbucks, Disney, or of course Nike. But, and this is a big but, don't let these cheerful meetings lull you into a false sense of security about Chinese stocks. When Westerners invest in the stocks of Chinese companies, let's just say it rarely ends well. Look, there's probably the one. If you had to say what's the name of Chinese stock, you'd probably say Alibaba, right? That's a China-based e-commerce titan. Until 2020, Alibaba was indeed a great investment. But a few years ago, the Communist Party started cracking down on companies that were too successful. Its stock never really recovered. This week, Alibaba's stock tumbled more than 6% on news that the company's shelving a plan to spin off its cloud computing division as part of a larger break up, uh, move to break up and unlock value. After this latest decline, Alibaba's up less than 10 bucks from where it came public in 2014 at 68 and the stock's down 17% from where it closed on its first day of trading. By comparison, the S&P 500's up 125% of the same period. Amazon's up more like 776%. Yet, despite being China's signature stock success story, if you hung on to Alibaba's stock since the IPO, you have done terribly. Which brings me to my main point. While I'm, I'm wary of all Chinese stocks because they don't play by the same securities laws we do, 
I am especially dubious about Chinese IPOs. This is something I used to warn you about all the time, but I haven't had to do it lately because there haven't been that many Chinese IPOs for the past few years, not since the very end of 2020, when Congress passed a law aimed at forcing financial accountability on Chinese companies that trade over here. By the end of 2021, the SEC had implemented some harsh new rules that seemed like they'd effectively banned Chinese IPOs from U.S. exchanges. Didn't help that there were uh, a bunch of high-profile implosions like Didi, the so-called Chinese Uber, which got crushed by a government crackdown. Lately, though, we've seen an uptick in IPOs from China, in part because our regulators agreed to send U.S. orders to Hong Kong rather than forcing Chinese companies to come here for inspections. This year, we've had 101 deals, and 21 of them were based in China, 14 in the mainland with another six in Hong Kong and Macau, not to mention one Chinese company that's domiciled in the Cayman Islands for tax purposes. Most of these are teensy, teeny deals. The average Chinese IPO raised just $24 million this year, and the average market capitalization for these companies stands at just $250 million. Many of them are just simply too small for us to talk about on air. But let's talk about their performance in aggregate, because in keeping with tradition, they've done terribly. Of the 21 Chinese IPOs this year, 15 of them are trading below their offer price, and most of these are way underwater. We've got 12 Chinese IPOs down from more than 40%. from where they came public. Ten are down more than 50%. Eight are down more than 60%. And three of them have fallen 80% from where they started. That was easy. Overall, these 21 Chinese IPOs do have an average gain of 24% from their offer prices. But this is one of those cases where the average is wildly skewed by a few outliers of 400, 500%. If you look at the median Chinese IPO, remember this from fifth grade math? Median Chinese IPO, the one that falls right in the middle, it's down 49%. Trust me, the median gives you a much more accurate picture of the pain of Chinese IPOs. And look, even when you look at these few of these Chinese IPOs that are doing well, call me skeptical. Get this. The second performing deal this year is a company called Golden Heaven Group. They run six amusement parks in China, kind of like the Six Flags of China. You know what I mean? Here's a stock that came public at four bucks and now trades at 20. 20 and change. Pretty good, right? Wrong. Not long ago, Golden Heaven was a $25 stock. But on Monday, Nate Anderson from Hindenburg Research unleashed a devastating Twitter thread. He said his firm shorting Golden Heaven because they sent an investigator to the company's parks, and let's just say the photos look less like a golden heaven and a lot more like a brown purgatory. At best. Some of the allegations here are pretty inflammatory, but Hindenburg has a terrific track record and does very high-quality work, much higher quality than most of the sell-side research firms, so I recommend you check it out for yourself. If this year's best-performing Chinese IPO may be a bit of a sham or may be a scam, at least according to Hindenburg, What does that say about all the other ones with even uglier stocks? I say not good. And this is not some political take for me. I'm purely following the numbers. Hey, if the Chinese IPOs were great, I'd be saying, you know what? I don't like the government. Boy, they coined it for you. It's been an awful strategy to own these stocks for years. If it's actually made you money, look, if it it made you money, I know I I would be there for you. But uh, the odds say you're going to get hurt. Now, don't get me wrong, not every Chinese IPO is a disaster waiting to happen. Some of these are intriguing companies run by very smart people. Hey, you know what? We had one this morning from a, a company too small to talk about, and I was impressed by the CEO when I met her earlier today, although I can't vouch for the stock, which ended up getting smacked around right from the get-go. That's why I'm covering the subject, not to be mean. And I can be mean, but to protect you from what are historically a bad class of investments. So here's the bottom line. After a couple years where we didn't need to fret, about the Chinese IPOs. 
the deals are coming back in a big, bogus way, which means you need to remember that they tend to be hazardous to your wealth. When it comes to Chinese companies that list their stocks here in America, I say take your cue from my old friend, Public Enemy, and don't believe the hype. Made Money's back after the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. Imagine if we could stop talking about the Magnificent Seven and start talking about the Gap. It feels like it's been years since Wall Street's focused on iconic household names beyond Apple or Amazon or Alphabet. For a long time now, we've been plagued by the so-called narrowness of the stock market, and that makes for a rather forbidding atmosphere for most home gamers. Nobody wants to stick their neck out on something that falls outside that small pool of consistent winners. But last night, Gap, one of the most recognizable brands in the nation, reported a startling quarter with a colossal turn in both Gap and Old Navy. The numbers were terrific, something that almost nobody expected. The new CEO, Richard Dixon, has orchestrated the kind of turnaround that reminds us we need to keep our eyes and our minds open because that's how you catch the stunning 31% gain you got in the stock gap today. This kind of thing hits very close to home for me. This past weekend, my wife Lisa and I decided to take a trip to the mall to see what's going on in the retail trenches. We saw nothing to write home about in the very dreary Nordstrom. We didn't see the uptick I'd hoped for in RH, the old restoration hardware. But Williams-Sonoma packed. Ralph Lauren had a ton of good stuff, a lot of people. That purple label seemed pretty good to me. And Gap. Not only did the Gap look real good, but Banana Republic seems like it's becoming a much better-looking store. Sure enough, Williams-Sonoma reported a terrific quarter with CEO Laura Albert talking about how she's aiming for profitability rather than just shooting for higher sales. If you own the stock, which is now up more than 55% for the year, you certainly agree with that strategy. Ralph Lauren had the misfortune of reporting back when long-term interest rates were still, still soaring. If it reported on Monday, I think the stock would roar in response. I like that. That's opportunity. But nothing comes close to this miraculous 31% gain in the gap today because the change in the chain's fortune aren't just so dramatic. I like accessible names. Sure, the gains from enterprise software companies are fun to harvest. Think ServiceNow, MongoDB, Datadog. (laughs) However, those companies are hard to get your head around because unless you interact with their technology at work, people are clueless about what they really do. I prefer betting on stocks that are easy to understand. Then it seems more like investing than betting. And that's why I want to see an Under Armour come back or maybe a turnaround in, in VF Corp. It can happen. I think North Face, Timberland's, Vans, or maybe an uptick at, say, restaurant brands, the parent of Burger King. I wish Bed Bath & Beyond had been able to stay afloat. I got my fingers crossed for Nordstrom or Kohl's. Tends your big turn. They report next week. So far, no dice. It's just the same old, same old. At least until Gap stock exploded higher today. Oh, and Ross Stores jumped 7% on virtually any other day. That would have been best performer retail. Now, I have no illusions about how difficult it could be to buy these retail stocks when we're hearing constantly that the consumer's strapped for cash, higher interest rates hurting everyone, credit card problems, people have less disposable income now that they need to pay back those student loans. Until this week's numbers, I regarded those problems as a genuine impediment to everyone in the industry, except for Amazon, Costco, Walmart, and TJX. Now, though, many companies are triumphing over these obstacles. A couple days ago, it was Target. Now it's a gap. I mention this because for most of my career, there was money to be made away from the most abstruse companies in tech. This year, that's been very hard to do, but that may be changing after these terrific retail quarters. If Target and the Gap are truly leading the way, then we'll have a legitimate bull market on our hands, not just a tech bull market, with a couple of the usual suspects thrown in. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.